Digo, yo ni tenía, o sea, yo no sabía que igual, porque yo tengo contrato, no sabía que igual podía ser como cambiado, tradeado, digo, es un poco raro porque ya le pasó mucho igual a, a muchos compañeros de nosotros que un día están y al día siguiente no, entonces sí, es un poco raro, creo que es la única liga en el mundo que hace esto, sí, raro, pero bueno, son las reglas y hay que, hay que pues, acatarlo. Hello and hola to everyone y todos. Welcome back to Miami Total Football Radio, an Inter-Miami-focused podcast. My name is Franco Penizo. I am one of your usual co-hosts of this bilingual show. And joining me for this week's episode are the two other usual co-hosts in Jose Armando and Andrea Yanes, a.k.a. Cinco and Ajicita. We're jumping right into it. We're skipping some of the pleasantries here because we've got so much to talk about, including the interview that we had with Rodolfo Pizarro yesterday, who you just heard there before the show's theme, the show's intro song. So we've got a lot to talk about. A lot. A lot. One thing I will ask before I ask you how you guys are doing is for you listeners out there, both old and new. Please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify if you use Spotify. But especially if you have Apple Podcasts because we're trying to hit a certain number of reviews and we're getting close. So if you can, if you haven't already, leave us a review. Even if it's only a one-word review. I'm not talking about just giving us like a star rating. Give us a star rating, please, but also leave us like uh, some words or at least one word because um, that will help us out tremendously in the goal and goals that we're trying to achieve here on Miami Total Football Radio. But how are you doing today, Jose? I'm doing doing good, doing good. You know, just can't wait for, you know, Messi to arrive, I think, you know, as we move on with the MLS uh, schedule in the next few weeks, I think people will start thinking more and more about his arrival. You know, obviously the product on the field is not necessarily what you know, people care about right now. So I guess we all ju- we all just have to jump in that boat for, for a couple of weeks. Andreita, how are you doing today? It's Wednesday night, post 4th of July. By the way, for all you listeners, I hope if you celebrated that you had a great 4th of July. Um, we were obviously in the stadium and we got an interview that ended with a nice little note for Andrea, which I guess we will share later. We don't have to go into it right now, but I know Andrea's ear-to-ear grinning probably since uh, that interview ended because Rodolfo Pizarro uh, made a comment to us, shared a, shared a little bit um, of insight into something that we'll, we'll talk about a little bit later on in the pod. But Andrea, how are you doing today? Hi, guys. I'm glad to be here. I'm doing good. Um, ready to talk about all things Inter-Miami. This is finally getting a little bit more interesting for a lot of new fans, for a lot of the old fans or the fans that have always been um, following this team. So I am ready to talk about it all. I'm ready to talk about Pizarro. Uh, I am sad to see him leave Inter-Miami, to tell you the truth. Um, as our listeners know, I really liked him as a player. We're going to talk about <laughs> his time here. We're going to talk about um, uh, 
what is going to happen to him. We're going to talk about that and we're going to talk about the interview that us three had uh, with him uh, post-match yesterday that has gone extra mega ultra viral everywhere because of course Pizarro is one of those players in Mexico that was very good while he was young and and God we're gonna talk about that because everyone is saying that he got bamboozled by David Beckham because David Beckham promised to get him to Europe and now Beckham's team is cutting him loose to bring in Messi. So we're going to talk about that. We're, we have a good show for, for you guys today. Andrea, do you just want to share with the listeners the, the tidbit from yesterday, the anecdote from yesterday post the interview with Pisado? Do you want to just, I said we'd save it for later, but do you just want to share it now? I'll let you do it if you want. Otherwise, I can share it. Well, uh, Franco, I am very happy uh, because Rodolfo Pizarro, when we said our goodbyes yesterday after the interview, he made a comment and he said that I was the best, <laughs> the best uh, host from the show because my opinions were always right. <laughs> I, I don't know if he exactly said the best host of the show. I will share what I heard from Pizarro after the interview ended and we'll dive into the actual meat and potatoes of that interview in this podcast but just to share a little tidbit after the interview was over uh Pizarro as he's getting ready to walk away and it did feel like we were saying goodbye to him right like, I, I don't know if we're going to get another chance to speak to him as a member of Inter Miami so it did feel like a goodbye um to a player that you know we've been covering since the first season in 2020 but he turns as he's getting ready to leave and he looks at Andrea and he tells her Andrea, I think you need to find a new co-host. And he glances over at me and he says, because your opinions, looking back at Andrea, are always spot on. Him, eh, not so much. And he said it with a laugh and I chuckled and we all we all had a good laugh. Jose as well. Um, so, Rodolfo Pizarro apparently has been at some point or is a regular listener of Miami Total Football Radio. So, Um, you know, if that is the last time we see Rodolfo Pizarro in Miami Jersey, um, then, you know, it's, it's a nice touch, a nice gesture from him, um, to, you know, to playfully say goodbye there, um, towards us. So we'll, we'll talk about obviously the on the field contributions and, and everything that we saw from him over these last, what, uh, I guess you would say three years and, and a half, but, um, it's two seasons and change. So we'll dive into that here. Like Andrea mentioned. And we'll dive into the interview, the comments that were made, as well as the most recent games, which both finished in draws for Inter-Miami. So, a lot to talk about, as usual. Jose, Andrea, listeners, let's get to it. Okay, guys, so diving right into the last few days, which consisted of two games for Inter-Miami. We're recapping two matches, couldn't turn... Uh, or get a show on that quick turnaround just because they played Saturday and then they played again Tuesday, which was a holiday. So we'll start with the most recent game, which was the July 4th match, Inter-Miami versus Columbus Crew at Drive Pink Stadium. Inter-Miami tied this game 2-2. Two two. Opener came from Darlington Nagby, a nice volley from the top of the 18-yard box in the 23rd minute. That was canceled out by a Leonardo Campana header in the 57th. Christian Ramirez put the crew back in front 12 minutes later, but Joseph Martinez came up with a sensational, stunning, powerful, ferocious bicycle kick into the back of the net in the 90th minute. 
gives Inter Miami a share of the spoils. This was the starting lineup for the South Florida side. It was a back five. Drake Calendar in goal. Benjamin Kremaski as the right wing back. Ian Frey, Serhi Kristoff, Noah Allen, your three center backs. Robert Taylor, the left wing back. First line of the midfield, David Ruiz and Dixon Arroyo. And the second line of the midfield, Nicolas Stefanelli and Rolfo Pizarro with Leonardo Campana starting up top. All right, so went through the recap there. Lineup, goal scorers, result. Jose, your thoughts, your analysis, uh, your biggest analysis point from this game, the 2-2 draw versus the Columbus crew. Um, well, I thought, you know, the first half was no good. Uh, I thought Columbus was a lot better than Inter-Miami in the first half, and yet I didn't think they were playing at their best. But I thought the second half was, was good from Inter-Miami. I thought they showed energy. They they really wanted to win the game. You know, they, they tied the score, then they, they went back down, and still, you know, the fight was still there for the, for, for Javi's team, so... I think, you know, the, the energy levels, the disposition, the, the willing to win, the sense of urgency was there in the second half. And I really like that. I really like that because I think the team is struggling, you know, with so, so much stuff going on off the field. And I think that's something that it's, it is bothering them. So um, they got loose a little bit in the second half and then they, you know, they forgot about everything else that's going on and, and they just concentrated on playing the game. And they look good in the second half. Unfortunately, you know, a point at this at this stage of the season is is not what they needed, especially, you know, with back-to-back home games. You talk about six points and they only got two. Obviously, that's that's not good. Right. They, they remain in last place in the Eastern Conference. They now sit on 17 points through 20 matches. So still some work to do there if they're going to make the playoffs. As of right now, Charlotte... FC is playing. They are winning their game against New York City FC here on Wednesday. That puts Inter Miami 10 points, if that result holds, 10 points off of that ninth place position, which is the last playoff berth. So work to do for the South Florida side, even though they got some results in these last two games. Andrea, your thoughts on this match for Inter Miami? Just your quickest analytical point yeah, you can you could see that uh, the fi- back five is still not an answer for this team. I don't know why why do coaches keep trying it because it, it really doesn't work. So um, moving forward, I guess Tata Martino is something that he has studied and has seen this team struggle with as they did in the first first half. I think they were very lucky not to 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 go under by by more goals. Uh, there were a couple of opportunities that Columbus had that Drake was very good and others where he was lucky that the ball didn't go in. So the positive thing is that they tied the game and um, they got a point at least. And uh, I guess when you're in last place, you have to count everything as as a positive. Every point that you uh, count, every point that you get as a positive. So uh, for me, that is that is one of the only positive things that I could look from this match. So I will say two things. I said, I, I, I'm cheating here. I gave you guys, well, I said to give me one big analytical point, but I'm going with two. One is that they were resilient, right? That they, they didn't roll over and throw in the towel. You know, they came back from 
being down twice in this game. So, you know, being in last place, confidence isn't at a very high level. The fact that they stayed with it, kept competing, kept fighting, kept looking to try to, to get something out of it, that speaks positively of, of Inter-Miami in, in that sense. Uh, the other one is that, look, the first half, it was not very good. You know, they came out with that back five, like uh, we just mentioned. And while they defensively did okay and, and held up, just not enough for the attack. Just not enough. And I, and I understand why Javi Morales in this game would go with a back five. You know, you're playing against the most potent attack in MLS. You know, you have Christian Ramirez, who we talk, touched on. You have Cucho Hernandez. You have uh, Lucas Elarrayan. I mean, players that can inflict some damage there in that final third. And you had to contrarrestarlo. You had to counteract that. And you're obviously missing players like Kamal Miller and DeAndre Yedlin, two experienced members of the back of the back line. So I get the idea. And you know what? To an extent, I was, you know, defensively, it was okay that first half. But with such an emphasis on the back line, took away from the attack. It wasn't until Inter-Miami changed things tactically, pushed Benjamin Kremaski a little bit further up the field and took him out of like that right wing back role and played him as more of a, of a midfielder that Inter-Miami started to see more of the ball. Yes, they also had the onus to try and find the game because they were trailing, but... It wasn't until then that you saw Inter Miami play better and then have a little more attacking success. Um, and they then could defend with the ball, as we've talked about um, so often on this show. So uh, I agree with you to an extent that the back five has never really seemed to click uh, too consistently. Maybe under Phil Neville during that stretch for a bit there in the 2020 season. Or sorry, 2021 season. But by and large, yeah, I, I don't necessarily think it works all that well especially in terms of just the team functioning from a defensive standpoint maybe but from the team functioning uh not so sure not so sure but obviously let's talk about individual performances here because probably the biggest performance came from Leonardo Campana who was making his first start since Javi Morales took over as interim head coach something that we were scratching our heads about something that we've been discussing uh for several days if not at least a couple weeks now um, Joseph Martinez, he has scored in the past couple of games, but still his overall performance levels haven't been great. They haven't been overwhelmingly impressive, you know, even taking into account the absolute golasasasasaso that he scored against the Columbus crew on Tuesday night to save a point for Inter Miami, to rescue something out of the game for Inter Miami. Jose, I go back to you. Campana or Joseph Martinez has been something we've discussed since preseason. They were supposed to play together at the start of the year. Injuries derailed that. Then once Campana got healthy again, we did see them play occasionally at times up top as a strike partnership. But that hasn't really been overwhelmingly positive. That hasn't been all that productive. So they've gone back to, Inter Miami's gone back to a one-striker system. Lately it's been Joseph Martinez. In this game against the Columbus crew, it was Leonardo Campana, who not only scored the opener, he got the assist to Joseph Martinez. My question to you, who should be the starting striker in the short term here 
for Inter Miami? Before League's Cup, before Messi arrives, who should be the number one option at the number nine position? Well, if if we have to choose only one, then I will go with Campana, without a doubt. You know, I have there, there's, there's not, you know, uh, there's no second thought about it. I mean, you just have to go with Campana. He brings a lot more energy and, um, you know, Joseph coming in in the 60th minute, he'll provide a spark, you know, he'll have an advantage with fresh legs. Um, so, yeah, I, I would go with with Campana. But I actually think they, they both should play together at the top from the start. I mean, if I'm Javi Morales, what's to lose at this point, right? You might as well go go out fighting. So, you know, I'll find a way to keep them both in the starting 11 and try to get some goals at home or on the road. You know, just talk to them, let them know that you just want them to play. You just want them to be Joseph Martinez and Leo Campana trying to score goals, forget about everything else, just go and play your game. Ha- and, and I'll go with, with the two of them. Has it ever really worked, though, Jose? In the, in the games that we have seen them play together, has it ever really clicked, though? And yes, you can talk about the injuries to certain players, you can talk about the lack of a number 10, but when you've seen them side by side this season, for the most part, has it worked? Um, I would say I don't have the numbers to prove that it has worked. But, you know, with, you know, the technical ability that they both have and the way they can complement each other, I think it could work. It's just a matter of, you know, having a coach that, you know, will put them in the right position. And, you know, when when Phil played them both, Campana was moving back so often looking for touches in the middle of the field that basically... He was not a striker, you know, 50% of the time, and they were rotating. So if you find a way to have them both near the edge of the box and combine with each other, then I think that's that's a situation that would work for both both of the players. But if you have one of them sacrificing and moving back for 50% of the time, then, you know, you're playing basically with one striker at that point. So, you know, if the setup is right, I think it can work. So, Javi Morales said something interesting in one of the recent post-game press conferences. I think it was the one after the Austin FC game, if I'm not mistaken. Um, games have been coming at a, at a furious and rapid pace. So, uh, But I believe that that's correct. He, he said this after the Austin FC game. I'll paraphrase. Because he was asked about Campana. He was asked about Joseph. He was asked about them playing together. And he said... He thinks the team loses too much in terms of chance creation when they play with two strikers. Now, my interpretation of that is that he feels that way because when they have two strikers, then they don't really have a de facto 10, right? Because they don't really play a 4-1-3-2 or a 4-4-2 diamond or they don't play a position where there's a number 10 operating behind the two strikers, right? It's maybe a a flat 4-4-2. Um, so, and I, I agree with Morales in that sense. Like, I, I don't see the partnership working all that well. I haven't seen it work well enough, consistently enough to say, yes, that's the solution. They need to, they need to try that more often because that's going to yield more goals and more results. Um, because yes, you might have more offensive firepower on the field. You might have more goals on the field to borrow, you know, Phil Neville's phrase but you lose something defensively right like if you have two strikers you're not going to have the same amount of defensive 
verve or defensive abilities that you would if you had another midfielder or another defender. Now, again, I... Well, you're talking like... You're Listen, talking like this team is going to get striker. messy. If this team is going to get messy. It doesn't matter what the defense does from now on because the focus is going to be on the attack. So when you got players like uh, Leonardo Campan and Joseph Martinez, who is not in his in the best moment of his career, but his, um, his goals speak for themselves, and Campana is a bright young striker, then you need to focus on that. And this team needs to win. So for me, the focus would be to put them to play together, to find a way to make them both play, to make them both play with Messi and figure out other stuff after but the defense could cannot be the priority when you're getting a player like Messi and when you have strikers like Leonardo Campana and Joseph Martinez for me and I had always said it here Phil not playing them together was a mistake by his part because he never found uh, because he played a, a lot of players out of position he never found a way to put players in a lineup that could make them work together but I think when we saw yesterday Joseph's goal that everyone is talking about, we saw what they could both do together, what what a danger they are for uh, teams in, in that area. And when you get a player like Messi the, that is going to get them in those positions very often in a game, you have to take advantage of that. So I disagree with both of you there in the sense that and the question was initially about these first few games before Messi arrives, or these next few games before Messi arrives. But I disagree with both of you in that, yes, they combined for the equalizing goal against the Columbus crew. Campana assist, Martinez golazo. But that comes with Campana starting and Joseph Martinez coming off the bench. And they played side by side in a game that they were obviously looking to, to find a goal in to try to get a result. But when you play like that from the start, you're taking away from the defensive side of things. And I'm, listen, I'm, I've always said I'm not one to put the emphasis on the defense. I'd rather put the emphasis on the attack. I'd rather be a more attack-minded team than a defensive-minded team. But you have to have a balance. You have to have a balance. And I don't think that with those two up top, one, you get enough from, you know, the team in general in terms of creating because what, what happens when the two of them play together? Who's who's pulling the strings? Who's feeding them the ball? The wingers. And usually it's just hopeful cross after hopeful cross after hopeful cross that yields nothing. And look, Joseph Martinez after the game against... Then we're jumping back now. But after the game against uh, Austin FC, when I asked him a question, he said along the lines of, and again paraphrasing, that in recent days leading up to that match, they discussed... The strikers and the lack of service that they were receiving. And again, I agree that they don't get a whole lot of the ball when they've played together, right? Because they're they're essentially Franco just up top waiting for it. In the press conference, he said, he said to me that he liked to play with Campana, that he wished that they would play together. I mean, they can like to play together, but if it doesn't bear fruit, then it doesn't bear fruit. It like, can. With a good coach, it can be done. And now that you're getting messy, you're getting that player that is going to feel, feed them balls so for me the team should be preparing for that and and play them both together to try and get the most amount of points from this four or five games 
that you have until Messi arrives. They could be more. And they are really letting opportunities pass, especially at home, especially in a game like yesterday that, for example, Stefanelli had a really bad game. And you could have had Joseph with Campana and Pizarro playing and receiving balls, feeding them balls, combining. And you missed that opportunity because... I don't. I, I really don't know why you come out and play with a back five in a game at home when you, you don't get it, Andrea. To... You don't get it. You don't get why playing against Cucho Hernandez, Lucas Celarayan, and Christian Ramirez. I mean, Christian Ramirez Blanco, is not Christian please, Ramirez is not at the same man, level as Celarayan and Cucho. But Cucho and Celarayan are at a, at a whole different level. A whole different level. And look, Inter Miami, for the most part, yesterday you're playing with a back five and a double five. You're playing with two volantes defensivos in Arroyo and David Ruiz, and you're playing with five players out of position uh, with, with, with the right back and the left back being Robert Taylor and Benjamin Kermalchi playing out of position. Mm -hmm. And you're telling me that you are doing that because you want to stop Columbus crew. If you wanted to stop Columbus crew, then you would play with players in their positions. Andrea, because you have Andrea. no Allen available, you have Harvey Neville available, so don't come here telling me like, oh yes, they're trying to stop them. You play Co players out of position. Andrea, and context matters. Context an matters. Issue in this team, this has been an issue on this team, and it's frustrating to see that Phil left, but we still have remnants of that. And the game yesterday is an example. Andrea, no way. Andrea, they have Spanish. injuries. They have, like, they're here, they have players called up to international duty. They are, at, they're calling up players from the second team on short-term loans to just help fill a roster because they are so depleted in terms of the, of the squad that they have available. They're like, yeah, he's going to have to Put players out of position. No, Kremaski at right wing back was something I, I didn't Taylor, expect. Why is he playing there? He, Robert Taylor at left at left wing back also didn't expect. Noah Allen's playing as a left center back as of late. Um, you know, but he's done okay there. Look, Christopher McVeigh. I think it says a lot, and we're getting away from the point here of, of the attack. But I think it says a lot that Noah Allen, who's not blessed with a whole lot of height and who's not a natural center back, he's a left back. He's been playing centrally over in this game over someone like Christopher McVeigh and that just speaks to the poor performance levels el, el pobre rendimiento that McVeigh has had as of late right so but they're depleted Andres it's not like they have a full arsenal of players here excuse, and they're putting play I, I disagree That's with that I disagree with that Jose you were going to say something before what, what did you want to add in there well several things to be honest <laughs> um well, listen, I think it depends on the approach, what the approach is for, for, for the rest of the, of the time without Messi. You know, if you really want to win games, then you, you have to take some risks, right? Um, regardless of, you know, what the players that you have available, I think you have enough to score. So, but you have to take some risks. And if you just want to, you know, survive the rest of the way and, um, you know, not get get embarrassed, then, you know, go ahead and play defensive-minded. That might help. You know, I think that 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 would be the safe way to go, you know. You, you don't want to go into, you know, a 10-game losing streak. You know, the, you were able to tie a couple of games and, okay, everybody's calm right now. So if that's the goal, then, you know, I think they, they have accomplished it because 
you know, a draw against Columbus, Austin, I think they should have won that game, but a draw against Columbus, I guess anybody would take that. So would you not take that? Jose? You said you guess you would take that. Jose, would you not before Tuesday's game? Yes. It reminded me needs three points, but if I said, Hey, they can get, I, they owe you an empate. I give you a draw on the table. Would you sign for that draw? For Inter Miami, with the depleted team that they have, Columbus again, yes was again, a, was that, away from that, home, but they have the that, most exp- uh, uh, potent attack in the league. That's exactly the point. That's exactly my point. You know, if I'm if I'm going for the playoffs still, then exactly. I, I, don't, I, I, don't, mean. I don't get it. Uh-huh. If, if, if I'm fighting for the playoffs, then I, I don't. Then you I, fight. I, I don't think that's a good result. Exactly. If you're just trying to survive and and get away from a losing streak, then yes, I'll take the draw. Because, you know, you have an argument, a valid argument, that you were playing against one of the top teams in the league and um, you were supposed to lose a game and you didn't. So it is a valid argument. But if you want to survive. Now, if you want to succeed this year, if you want to give Messi an opportunity, Messi and friends, we should say from now on, to be honest, because, you know, there's more than Messi coming. So if you want to give Messi and friends the opportunity uh, at the playoffs, then you just have to do more. I think, you know, I think... You know, if you look at the standings uh, and you look at the schedule for Inter Miami in the coming weeks, you know they're going to need more than you know a feel-good type of draw against Columbus at home, right? I mean, I, th- I think that's pretty obvious. Jose, listen, right now, to me, to me, I don't know what anybody else thinks. To me, Inter Miami is in survive mode. Get through this stretch okay. of games before yeah. Messi arrives, trying to pick up as many points as possible without completely losing any chance of making the playoffs. We did the numbers last week. We did it without Andrea, but yeah. we came out to, to the conclusion it's going to be very difficult to make the playoffs and that this stretch was key. It's But it's about surviving this stretch. If you lose all these games, then there's practically no chance that you can make it. The slim chances you have, they're almost non-existent then. Because... So... Yeah. So I, I, it's a fair... I, yeah, and I... And I I don't disagree with you that, you know, when Messi gets here, that they will be attack-minded. I don't think we're going to see Inter Miami play with five at the back once Messi gets here. But right now, with how depleted the team is, with how shorthanded the team is, I understand the thought process. I understand the thought and the rationale behind it, whether I agree with it or not. Do I agree with it? Against Columbus? Yes. Against Austin? Maybe not so much. But against Columbus Crew, even though they're at home... Yes, I thought, even though Inter Miami was at home, yes, I agree with that decision. Now, it didn't pay off in the first half. Again, Inter Miami uh, played a poor first half from uh, an attacking standpoint, and they were trailing 1-0 going into the break. But from a defensive standpoint, it wasn't terrible. The goal that they gave up came off of a corner kick that Drake Callender punches clear, and Darlington Nagby gets onto the end of uh, of the aerial ball that's falling down, and he smacks a volley into the bottom left corner, and it's a heck of a strike. Uh, you know, right. that, that strike would be would be getting talked about more had it not been for Joseph Martinez's spectacular finish to equalize. So, um, But I think we're not judging performance. I mean, I, I think we all agree that, you know, the second half, the performance was good from the team. It's just that the approach is different when you're sitting in last place and you have back-to-back home games, and if you want to make the playoffs, you can't be happy with two points. I mean, just can't be. And, you know, as much as we want to talk about Columbus being a tough team, if you don't win against Austin, then you have to win against Columbus. I mean, that's that's the, at this point, you know, forget who you're playing against. You're going to need points. 
if you want to be in the in the playoff chase in a, in in a few months, if they, in a month or so. If they win this weekend at DC United, then five points in three games for the last place team, I think that's a decent haul. I think that's a decent haul. Yeah. I don't think so because you were at home in two of those and, matches. Andrea, this is not a team that's playing at full strength. This is a team that's depleted, thin, almost no depth. They're calling up young players with no first team experience to just help make up a roster because they're they're just. It's just such. It's been that type of season. I said it last See, week. I, I, it's a bad team I, with bad luck. But we we got to go back to the main point, which was uh, Joseph and and Leo Campana. If they could play up top together, you guys say yes. I say no. I don't think when Tata Martino takes over, and he was watching the last two games from a booth up there in Drive Pink Stadium, but I don't think he's going to play with two strikers. I just don't see that happening. I think you again, you lose too much defensively, and. I'm all for them being attack-minded, but to start games when you have to play a full 90 minutes, I think you lose too much if you're going to play them and Messi and Busquets. I think you'll lose way too much. I think the formula for this this team and that pairing or those two strikers is what we saw against the Columbus crew. One starts and one comes off the bench. And sometimes they'll play together when they're chasing a result. And the game's a little bit more open, and they can be a little bit more uh, attack-minded and and attack the spaces because the other team's now playing with more tired legs. I think that lends itself for them to be the best pairing they can be. I don't think at the beginning of games, when, when cuando los partidos están más cerrados, right, when games are a little more tight and closed, and the other teams are, they're still feeling each other out, so they're not opening themselves up as much. I don't think that that lends itself. To Campana and Joseph Martinez playing well together, but we'll we'll see how it goes once Tata Martino takes over. We'll see if they if he plays with two strikers. I don't I don't envision that happening. You know I, I think we do need to give a quick little just talking point to Kremaski, Ian Frey, and Noah Allen. Uh, you know three of the four academy players who I think performed pretty decently there on Tuesday night. Wow. Along that back five, you know, Kremaski and, and Allen playing at a position like we mentioned before. Ian Frey continuing to, to show well there at center back for the second consecutive game. Really like what I'm seeing from him uh, as he continues to fully get his feet under him following back-to-back ACL injuries. So, you know, defensively, I thought those three held up well. Kremaski playing at a position which was... Uh, very, very interesting. First time I think he's ever played there in his career is what Javi Morales said after the game. Um, again, Noah Allen, not a center back, doesn't have the the profile of a center back, but alas, you know, helping to get a job done and get a result against a talented Columbus crew team. That, that's all I'll say there about those three because we have to keep the show moving and we have to talk about Rodolfo Pizarro, right? Because, again, we had the interview with him. If you haven't heard it, don't know what we're talking about. Check it out on uh, Miami Total Football's YouTube page or Deporte Total USA's uh, channels. That's the outlet that Jose and Andrea operate for, uh, operate and work for. So the, the interview's there. Uh, I don't know how it works on Deporte Total USA, but on YouTube for Miami Total Football, you can get closed captions uh, in English subtitles if you don't speak Spanish. So... Um, it's a rough translation, but it'll help you understand what Pizarro was saying. So check it out. And if you haven't, subscribe to the YouTube account because it's free. Uh, so guys, 
After the game, three of us speak to Pizarro. Jose, you started off by saying, vamos a sacar la, la pregunta incómoda out of the way. We're going to get the uncomfortable question out of the way. And you asked him outright about his future and whether he expects to be an Inter-Miami player in a week's time. Pizarro says, like you heard in the clip there initially, that he's unsure. He doesn't know the MLS rules. He knows that, like a lot of his teammates, that it's a possibility with all the changes and all the incoming transfers that he could be moved. But as the interview continued to develop and unfold, we got a very candid, honest, sincere, uh, autocrítico Rodolfo Pizarro. And autocrítico means self-critical or, um, yeah, just critical of himself. Uh so there was a lot that we could dissect. And I want to go to Andrea first. And not because she got some love from, from Pizarro after the interview. But just what was your biggest takeaway from our chat with him? I think it was like six or seven minutes long, approximately. You know, what was the biggest thing you took away from that conversation that we had with him? Uh, the biggest thing that I took away is that he didn't want to leave. I guess he wanted to play with Messi, no? Uh, he didn't understand exactly the rules of MLS, and he he told us that it's the only league in the world that this happens, and, and it's true in, in at least football. It is the only place that that happens uh, where a player can be traded without their approval or their say in it. Um, so he, he was surprised by that, and I guess... Um, it is sad for him because from what I could gather, I think he would have won, want to stay to to finish this whole year in, in Inter-Miami and to prove that uh, Inter-Miami could be a good team and, and, and to prove himself also. So that was my biggest takeaway. And the rest was just confirmation of what we've been talking about for the last couple of months here, even before we knew the messy news. Um, we we knew that this was a possibility for for Rodolfo Pizarro of him to leave the team, and um, yeah, that 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 was my biggest takeaway. Now, Jose, before I get your thoughts, just to quickly break it all down, Inter Miami right now has three designated players on the roster. Right, that's the maximum amount allowed by Major League Soccer. The three DPs as of today: Gregory, Pizarro, and Leo Campana. Now. We know that Messi and Busquets are coming. And they will both, from what we've been told, and this is, should not be a surprise to anybody, they will both be designated players. So Inter-Miami has to free up two slots out of the current three to fit Messi and Busquets. How do they go about that? Well, we expect that Gregory's hit, budget hit, will be bought down or will be brought down. So that frees up one spot. Gregory will be a, a TAM player, and then in comes, you could say, Messi. But to get Busquets, you still need to free up another slot. How do you do that? Well, Campana, it doesn't look like he's going anywhere. From what I've been told, he's seen as a, as a key part of the project right now. So that leaves Pizarro, who we, like Andrea just mentioned, have said for months now, has been surplus to requirements here. He's been seen as a player that they don't really rate. They've wanted to move on for some time now. I mean, last year he spent the whole season on loan at Monterrey uh, with a buy option that they did not trigger. 
So it's clear that Inter-Miami has not been all that high on him for some time. And this year, he started the season well. Then the performance levels dipped. Then he got injured. And he's come back recently. But he's had all this incertidumbre, this uncertainty, uh, hanging over him with regards to what his future holds. In the interview yesterday, he, you know, he pretty much... Uh, made it all but clear that he expects to be moved. You know, he said there's there's talks from clubs in Mexico. Um, I can report here, like I reported yesterday on Miami Total Football Substack, plugging all our all our social media channels and all our um, yeah all our just all part of the content that we provide here on Miami Total Football Radio. Um, you know, the LA Galaxy, from what sources have told me, are a team that's expressing interest in Pizarro. It would probably this is. Not something I reported, but this is my assumption. It would probably be a loan for the rest of the season. Inter-Miami would probably have to pay a good bit of that, and that would help free up a DP slot. So that seems like that that could be a possibility, but still to be determined. Pizarro said he did not know um, exactly where he was going just yet. Jose, what did you take away from the interview? Because... Aside from his immediate future, Pizarro also reflected, when we asked, about his time with La Rosa Negra, wearing the pink and black of Inter Miami, and the white, because he was there during the first season when they had that that white see-through jersey. Um, You know, what were your thoughts about his comments with regards to his entire time with Inter Miami? He was critical of, of Phil Neville, which we'll talk about here. But he's also critical of himself. What do you think? Yeah, well, I think he, he, you know, first of all, first of all, I think he was, you know, very, very honest. I think, uh, if not the most honest interview that we have had um, with any Inter Miami player, you know, it's it's very close. Um, so I thought he was very honest, and um, you know, I thought the interview was a validation, you know, on on what we talked in the podcast for for quite a while when we referred to to Pizarro you know he did acknowledge that he struggled but at the same time and i think that that's something that we talked about here very often you know he 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 never on, under Phil Neville he never found uh his position on the field you know and 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 i'm sure you guys remember you know we were always talking um where do you play him where do you play Pizarro? Is he a 10? Is he really, really a 10? Is he an 8? You know, like the start of the season, remember when Phil said he, he can he can be an 8? He can play as an 8? Is he really? Um, is there any way they can play through the wings and at the same time play with two strikers or in the diamond? Where do you put him in the 4-4-2 diamond? You know, it, it didn't matter that formation. It felt like Pizarro never had... Uh, a spot where he felt comfortable and and he said that so you know that's something that you know I was thinking of this morning and um and and then the other thing that I you know I I really picked up from the from the from the interview was you know the fact that like Andrea mentioned that you know he 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 really wanted to stay and maybe not necessarily because of playing with Messi but you know being coached by Tata you know it, it did sound like you know that opportunity uh, of him being back together with Tata, uh, right. coach that he knows. You know, he knows, and and that you know he went through a lot of criticism in Mexico for calling exactly. him to the national team. Yeah. 
So it felt like, you know, he thought he had an opportunity to get back on track. And now, obviously, he's going to miss uh, on that opportunity because, you know, there's there's just no way. You, you know, there's just no way of him staying. And um, and they just they just need that that, that um, designated player spot. So I want to touch on his comments that, you know, he touched on his overall time here. Right. So I mean, you just talked about it a little bit there, Jose. Because, yes, it's true that, you know, he talked about, you know what, actually, let's just play the audio. Let's play the clip, and then we can dive into it. It's going to be in Spanish. We'll do our best to paraphrase afterwards if you don't understand. Or you can go to Miami Total Football's YouTube page and read the closed captions in English in the subtitles there. But let's listen to it here. Sí, no, creo que, desgraciadamente, al jugador muchas veces condiciona mucho el, el entrenador que esté. Creo que muchas veces... No puede jugar, como dije, no puede jugar cómodo, no puede jugar con libertad, con, con alegría, disfrutando del fútbol. Tiene muchas, muchas reglas que, que a veces fue la primera vez que me ha tocado eh, seguir muchas, muchas reglas, quedarme en, un, en una posición muy estática, sin, sin moverme de un lado al otro. Eh, no, había, no había tenido eso y directamente no pude, sí, no pude. Al inicio, la verdad, disfruté mucho. Después... Sí, sí. Se notaba, se notaba. Después sí fue muy difícil para mí eh, y nunca pude, la verdad nunca pude como ser ese jugador que, que hubiera esperado y que, que la directiva hubiera esperado. All right, so we've heard some of Pizarro's comments. He never mentions Phil Neville directly by name, right? He never said Phil Neville. But it's not hard to read between the lines there and understand that he's talking about Phil Neville. Not talking about Diego Alonso, and he's not talking about Javi Morales. He's talking about Phil Neville. And look, he's not wrong in that Phil Neville never found a position for him, right? Like, they could never find a spot for him in this team, whether it was this iteration of 2023 or the previous ones with Gonzalo Higuain. Like, they just never found a way to get the most out of him. And that absolutely falls on the coaching staff. But Pizarro is not blameless either. He also did not produce in the moments that he was given opportunities. Not consistently enough. So there's, there's equal parts blame there for why things did not go well for him in large parts at Inter Miami during this I stop think, in his career. I, I think that Pizarro's comment just validates uh, what I've said about Phil all along. He was not a good coach. He didn't have good ideas. He made players play out of a position. He made players stay static and not move, not have liberties on the field. So um, a lot of the problems that Inter Miami has had since 2021 when he came here is because of Phil Neville. And he had problems with Gonzalo Higuain. Last year only changed because Higuain decided to retire. And that is why he got a shot after in mid-season after everyone was calling him gordo and bad and whatever that is why he got his chance because they knew he's he was going to retire but phil neville never prove anything and for me pizarro's comments are just another stone in that wall because i've heard comments like that from Ariel lassiter from duke from lewis morgan from julian carranza from everyone that has left inter miami unfortunately and didn't get an opportunity because of Phil and his I don't, I don't know if the other players have said anything close to what Pizarro said here. I don't know if that's that's accurate. I will say, look, the two things can be true, Andrea. 
Phil Neville might have, you know, impacted y condicionar, right? Like that's the word that Pizarro used yesterday. Uh, lo condicionó and limited the impact he could make by not finding him a position or finding uh, the way to get the most out of him. You know, getting a position in the overall system that plays to Pizarro's strengths. That, again, absolutely can be on Phil Neville. But it's also on Pizarro to make the most of what he's being asked to do. It's not like he never played the 10. It's not like he never played an no, attacking no. position. Yeah, of course, I understand now, that. And listen, you can, I get you saying, oh, he was, tactically, he was tactically restrained. And I get that. I understand that fully. And again, I'm not saying Phil Neville's absolved the blame for that. But guess what? Sometimes you don't get to play exactly how you want to play. And you still have to deliver. That's what you get paid $3.5 million for, or whatever Pizarro's getting paid for, paid these days, you still have to deliver, right? You still have to find a way. It's not like, oh, well, if I don't play this, then I can't, then I don't work. Then it just doesn't work for me. Like that, That's not, that's not, not that's a very limited. Robert Taylor, Franco, and play every position. And I'm not only talking about Pizarro, but players in the history of the years that Phil was here. We saw the same problems. You could have said that of Luis Morgan, and you could have said that of Julian Carranza. Look at them. Now. Absolutely. And that is what I'm referring, not just to Pizarro, but I'm just saying what he said is just another brick on the wall of that the problem from this team was not mostly the players. It was the coach and the coaching staff. I mean, I, I, listen, I've criticized Phil a lot. So I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, Phil was a, a, a wonderful tactician and all these things. And I think the two things can be true. I think Phil Neville, and listen, I think what the, the crux of it is, I think that the main point is there's two major problems that happened for Pizarro during his time here. One is that he's limited in terms of positionally in a league that's this athletic and this physical where you can play, right? Jose just touched on it. We have had the conversation so many times over the different seasons and the different weeks and months. What is Pizarro's best position? Where do you play him? Where does he function best? And we've never really had a consensus answer. It's always, you know, we're always constantly changing our opinion of him because his his performance levels have been so up and down. So that that's one thing. He was limited in a league that is very athletic. That's that's part one. Part two is he and Phil Neville never clicked. They never, ever, I don't know, I'm not going to sit here and say that they had beef behind the scenes and that they hated each other, because I don't know that, I've never heard that, but I will say that you could tell that they never clicked, right? Like, there's coaches that just don't see players as part of their plans, they, you know, they, they don't see them as being able to provide what they want in certain positions, they don't value the, the skill sets that they have, they just don't rate them, right? It's a common soccer term, common football term. Play, coaches just don't rate players. And it happens to even very talented players at even higher levels, right? Like James Rodriguez, uber talented. And even at different stops along his club career, there was like talk about, well, does he not rate him? Because he doesn't play him. He doesn't start him. I mean, it, it happens. So it just never clicked. It never, I mean, Pizarro was not a Phil Neville signing. Pizarro was a Diego Alonso signing and Diego Alonso lasted all of one season. And then from there... Pizarro had to go play for a new coach who saw the game differently and didn't maybe know how to get the best out of him, didn't know how to best motivate him, to best get him feeling happy. You know, Pizarro here talks about uh, not playing with joy, not playing with freedom, not being able to enjoy one's soccer. Stuff that Phil Neville said in moments that Pizarro needed in order to perform. 
but they were never able, never able to get on the same page consistently. And I think the blame goes for both of them. And if we just sum it up, and Jose, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. If you sum up Pizarro's time with Inter Miami, it's was a poor stretch for him. A poor stretch. He started very, very well in 2020 as the initial designated player, the first ever in franchise's history. He scored the first ever goal for the team in week two of that 2020 season against DC United right before the pandemic break. He was getting assists when play resumed in the MLS's back tournament in Orlando. He scored again when play resumed again in August at Drive Pink Stadium in games that we were at, but that fans couldn't be at. You know, they had cardboard cutouts. He he po- he celebrated one of his goals with one of the cardboard cutouts in, in the North Stand where La Familia now sits and stands. So he started very well. When Gonzalo Higuain arrived, and we talked about this on Tuesday night, lo opacó, right? Like he kind of shut out that flame because Gonzalo Higuain became the player that had to get the touches and that the team needed to play through. So that was, you know, a part of the issue. And then the next season, Diego Alonso's gone, Phil Neville's in, and like I just mentioned, they just never were able to to click, right? Some players and some coaches, they just click, and it just works, and it's seamless and smooth. That just wasn't the case with Rodolfo Pizarro. That just wasn't the case with uh, with Phil Neville. Like they, they just, it just never was uh, a match made in heaven. Never love at first sight. Someone yesterday, actually speaking after after the interview went out reached out to me and was like, Pizarro se desahogó. Like, Pizarro got it off his chest at last. You know, again, he didn't say Filippo yeah, by name, because, but he fought, you know, he yeah. finally got to say his piece. What right? he thought. Exactly. Because mm-hmm. you're not going to, I mean, I guess you could. There are some players that will, you know, speak publicly and outwardly against their coach if they feel they're being mistreated. But it takes a special type of personality and character. Joseph Martinez is that type of player, right? Like with with Gabriel Haynes at Atlanta United, like, you know, Joseph Martinez was separated from the group for, you know, conduct that was detrimental to the team. And, you know, so it, it takes a special type of personality and Pizarro seems more of a laid back kind of gentle soul. So he's not going to be that type. But now that he's at the end of the road with Inter Miami, he said what he felt. And listen, you can agree, disagree, whatever you want. But he also said himself, I didn't live up, or I wasn't the player I hoped to be and that the ownership would have liked me to be. Along those lines. So, I mean, he also ta- he's also taking responsibility for not being the player that they initially had hoped for when they signed. Hosit, anything you want to add there about his time in general with yeah. Inter-Miami? Well, first off, I'd like to say that I do not think he's limited at all. I think he's a he's a solid player. He's a good player. Problem was that, you know, the expectations were way too high when Inter Miami signed him. You know, he was not the type of player that will shine in top teams in the top leagues. You know, he was just a promising talent. And, you know, Inter Miami made a mistake you know, signing him as a designated player. Um, they could have brought him in, you know, without a designated player contract. No, they and, couldn't have. You know, no, they couldn't have. No, they couldn't have. Well, he was commanding. He was, Jose, let's, let's paint the picture as it was. He was at the, you know, the pinnacle of his career. Two years from when, where they signed him without a designated player contract. And, and we'll be having a different conversation right now. 
You know, he might be coming in with different expectations. But when you sign a designated player, from the get-go, you want goals, you want assists, you want him to start, you want him to shine, you want the best out of uh, out of that player. And unfortunately, Pizarro was never at that level. That was just a reality. Even, you know, in the early days with Diego Alonso, he was never a top, top player in the league. So I think we were all wrong in expectations and we were led to believe that Rodolfo Pizarro was and would be the best player for Inter Miami in a while. And, you know, the reality is that Gonzalo Higuain came over just a year later with really no desire, you know, to come to MLS and win it all. He just wanted to come here and play some more and play alongside his brother. That's all he wanted to do. And he was better than Rodolfo Pizarro. So that gives you some perspective as to, you know, the, how w when the mistake really was made with Rodolfo Pizarro. No, Jose, that's, that's such a revisionist history, man. Like, he was at the pinnacle of his career. At the, at, he was at the top point of his career at that point. There was talks about him going to In Europe. Mexico. Yes, and there was talk about talk about him going to Europe. He was, you know, regular with the Mexican national team, starting. Remember and, that Inter Miami who, who, brought him with that in mind, right? And they were going to become a good selling team, and they were going to be the team that is where go, was okay. going to take Pizarro to Europe. And he and he has to perform for that as well. Like it's not just on the team to make Pizarro an amazing yeah. player. Pizarro has to deliver. That's where Jose. I like. I I can't believe you just like sat there and that's why I, like I had to like cut in there because you just said. Essentially, that it's on Inter Miami for signing him as a DP. Pizarro makes the decision to sign the contract. Pizarro made the decision to join Inter Miami as opposed to going somewhere Who else or staying in contract. Mexico. Okay. Who offered? Well, yes. So, yes. so, so both. Also, if you, if they if offer you, if they offer you a six million dollar contract right now, it's it's not on you. I mean, it's all on you. It's on who's offering you six million dollars for whatever you want to do. I'm like, I'm like, face, I'm face palming. I'm face palming right now with both hands. Franco, you don't like to admit when the team makes a mistake. That's that's not true at all. That's that's not true at all. That's I'm telling you. Offer him be to be the designated player of Inter Miami. If it was. LA Galaxy, LAFC, Colorado Rapids, even Houston Dynamo, I would have understand I'm, it. I'm but here in Miami, there was no market for Pizarro. I'm literally facepalming because the, so reason, you think the you reason why Pizarro was here, wait, wait, the reason why Pizarro was even here in the first place was because Diego Alonso was brought on as head coach, and they were like, all right, well, we get Mexican international. Diego Alonso's coached him. Diego Alonso likes him. He rates him. All right, that, that's one of the main reasons he was brought on board, and he still has to accept. The deal. He still has to sign the contract and agree to terms. You cannot just absolve Pizarro of any responsibility for the career decision that he made. Did Inter Miami make a mistake? Sure. Yes, absolutely. But Pizarro also made a mistake. Yeah, that Pisa is the thing that no, 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 no,
Like well, Saudi yes, Arabia that, just offered Messi how many millions, and Messi said no. You don't have to say yes just because a very lucrative offer comes across the table. Like that's why you have a decision to make. Look, it's not just about player successes and their careers. It's not just about know, it was on the field. First major contract. It was his first major so contract. So what, Jose? So what? Then that's where you have to have. We've talked about this before. Un entorno. You have people who are in your entourage, in your inner circle that have to help guide your career. When Pizarro looks Franco, back at his career, Jose, Jose, exactly. I mean, exactly. If you offer any soccer player in the world a designated player contract right now, they will sign him. No, They're no, not going to... No, the first thought no. will not be... The first thought would never be, oh, I'm not capable of doing that. No. If they offer Robbie Robinson right now a designated player contract, he'll sign it. No, everybody will sign it. If they offer me a designated player, player contract right now, I'll sign it. Jose, you're, sign you're, it. you're talking nonsense. You're talking nonsense. Jose, you're talking gibberish, Any person. No, that's false. That, that is equivocally false. You think if you went to South America or to Europe's highest level and you're like, hey, here's a DP deal. Anybody will take it just because it's a lot of money? No, that's not. Money is not the only factor in a player's decision making. A sporting project, their own personal ambitions. It's not just like, oh, well, money is the end all, be all. Like Messi literally just turned down more money to come to Inter Miami. What are you talking about? This is a business. This is a business, man. This is a business. This is not charity work. This is a business. If they offer you a designated player contract, there's a reason why there are only three designated player contracts for every team. You know, that's like like a highest price. Like, so if they offer you the highest price, you take it. No, you, you don't, Jose. What are you – like, these are professional athletes. They also project longer term. It's not just about, oh, what's, what's the quick money and the easy money right away. It's not necessarily about that. You take into account everything. Listen, if Pizarro could go back and do it all over again, do you think he would take the money? No, he'd probably freaking wait in Mexico for another season or he'd sign with a, a middling team or whatever team in Europe was interested in him. Because, the, look, the, the trajectory of his career was on an incline. It was on an ascent. The decline came after signing with Inter Miami. And you can put some of the blame on Inter Miami. Also, some of the blame goes on Pizarro. He made, he made that it. is what we're saying, Franco. Oh. You cannot look at Pizarro as an isolated incident. Let's look at the players that they signed that first year. Matias Pellegrini, Julian Carranza, Luis Morgan, they are all gone. They are Andres Reyes. They are all gone. And they were brought with that idea in mind. So you cannot come Man, here and this, say that the team doesn't have a responsibility because they do. I'm not saying they, they do. don't have responsibility. You guys cannot absolve Pizarro of his we responsibility for making that decision. The reason why he struggled is, is because this was not the right league for him. You know, this was not the right league for him. You know, this is a league where everybody likes to run. And, you know, he doesn't he likes to play with the ball. But he doesn't like to be running up and down the field. So, you know, initially, um, yes, there could have been a conversation within his camp of, okay, listen, the style of the league might not be good for you. But at the end of the day, when you're offered, you know, the highest offer he got was probably from MLS. And that's why he came to MLS. And, you know, every athlete in the world will think they're capable of winning championships. If not, they would not be professional athletes. You know, every professional athlete, athlete regardless of the team they play for they, they prepare to win you know nobody prepares to just be okay nobody prepares just to make minimum expectations no everybody prepares to win everybody wants to win games championships you know or personal 
awards, whatever. Everybody wants, every single professional athlete wants to win. So if Pizarro gets offered a designated player contract, it's only normal that he says, yes, I want it. I'm going to sign that. No, I think that's good I disagree, for me. I, dis- I disagree with that. I disagree fully with that. Just because, again, look at Saudi Arabia. A lot of these players now that are older are taking those offers, but not every player that gets a, a, an offer from Saudi Arabia goes there because they have other ambitions. They want to stay in the in Europe at the highest level. They want to play in the Champions League. Just because you get offered a boatload of cash, yes, is that something you assess and you weigh and you think about? Of course, absolutely. But just because you're offered a boatload of cash does not mean you automatically have to accept a boatload of cash. It was about everything that Inter Miami was promising these young players like Pizarro. I told you a couple of names who they all were offered the same and nothing was ever concrete with them. Not even the team. I understand the pandemic hit, and then they 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 cheated with their salaries and everything like that. And unfortunately, those players were, I think, they were blamed. They were blamed, and it wasn't their fault. It was the team's fault and the management from the team in that time. So I think it's really unfair to not not acknowledge that. But it's all I think it's on bottom line. I think for me at least. It's on both. It's on both of them. Absolutely. Absolutely. On both. I think it's on both. They both share responsibilities. You know, Pizarro yeah. didn't perform, whether it was pressure or he was just, you know, not not ready. Uh, he he carries some of the responsibility. Uh, I think there's talent in him. And there's if he, absolutely if talent. Finds, if he finds the right system, I can see him, you know, having a good career. I, then you know I, I don't think he's gonna go play for Manchester City or anything like that, but you know he can be successful in Concacaf. So um, for me, you know, at this point, it's it's about understanding that you know both of both parts will share responsibility and they have to share responsibility. No, I, and Jose, I want to I want to wrap it because we're, we're sticking on this point. We still got a couple of talking points here. I, I want to just quickly wrap this up here by by saying by saying this. I'll say this. This is this is my final thought on him. Look, I, I wish him the best of luck in whatever uh, team he ends up with. Um, I have questions as to how he'll do because it's not like he killed it with Monterrey last year. There's been a, a real big decline in his performance levels uh, since coming to Inter Miami, which I just mentioned a few moments ago, and. Can he turn it around? I mean, he, he's still young enough. He still has enough years where he can turn it around. But it has to be now. It has to be soon because he doesn't have that much time, that much of a luxury to to you know bounce around a few different teams. We'll see how he does uh, going forward. We'll keep track, of course. He was. I think I mentioned before he was the first DP, but no, he was the first big name uh, DP signing. But I will say this: look, when he initially started playing for Inter Miami, when he was the one. That was the focal point of the attack. Was he one of the best players in the league? No, but he was more successful. He scored goals. He got assists. And look, I'm going to take you back. I'm going to take the listeners back. At that time, Pizarro was on Instagram on a regular basis posting pictures of him uh, working out, shirtless, smiling, doing all these different types of things, right? Like, living his best life you could see that he was happy and that he was confident and that he felt like the guy on this team when Higuain came those type of posts disappeared and you didn't see that from from Pizarro and you haven't really seen that from him since then you'll see the occasional picture of him out to eat 
but you don't see him with that same enthusiasm, and you didn't see him with that same enthusiasm after Iguain arrived and Iguain became the guy that the team played through and that became the focal point of the of the interview. I just want to say something. I just want to say something that's gonna get people mad, but I I just want to <laughs> say, isn't it ironic that Lionel Messi was saying, "Oh, I didn't sign with Barcelona because I didn't want players to have to leave," and now see what is happening with Pizarro. <laughs> it's a little bit ironic, right? Which is why but, I didn't put a whole lot of stock in that in that comment from from Messi to begin with. So, but anyway, but it needed to happen though. I think we all know that. I mean, when you move from one team to the other, obviously, well, let's just not get into this. Because, you know, <laughs> we're gonna go forever. <laughs> yeah, let's move on. All right, all right. So let's I move on. I wanted to say that. Very, very. I mean, it's not it's not a bad point. It's not. It's a fair. It's a fair assessment. All right, Inter Miami. Before this game against Columbus Crew, played over the weekend on Saturday at Drive Pink Stadium against Austin FC. And they tied one to one. Joseph Martinez with a goal in the 47th minute, but that was canceled out four minutes later by Nick Lima. That's all she wrote for that one. Uh, stalemate that marked Inter Miami's first tie of the season. They now have two, two consecutive, but that was the first tie of the MLS regular season for the South Florida side. This was the starting lineup. It was again a five-two-two-one. Although it morphed into a back four at times. But anyway, this is the lineup that began. Drake Callender in goal. It was Robert Taylor as the right wing back. Ian Frey, Serhi Christoph, Noah Allen as your three central defenders. On the left, as the left wing back, Robbie Robinson. First line of the midfield, Dixon Arroyo and David Ruiz. Second line of the midfield, Benjamin Kremaski and Rodolfo Pizarro. And up top, Joseph Martinez. So we won't dive into this game a whole lot because we've been Going at it for a good bit here, but just very quickly, a couple talking points. Again, Inter Miami had some chances this game. They probably could have won this game, and they didn't. They just didn't put their chances away. Joseph Martinez misses a, a clear-cut one-on-one chance that Pizarro sprung him on in the first half. Benjamin Kremaski also blasts a golden opportunity, a one-on-one look over the crossbar after going in on goal. Um, so Inter Miami had opportunities. They just didn't put them away. And they were forced to settle for just a solitary point. Now, two talking points that I do want to hear uh, your thoughts on are, well, when Joseph scored in that 47th minute, initially he does a shh celebration, right? He puts his hands to his, or his finger to his mouth, and he did the shh celebration. Can I say something about that? You know, if you want to do the shush, do it when you win a game, not when you score a goal. This is a team game. So if you want to, if you want to be in the last place and score a goal and be happy with that, I guess that's fine. But it would be a lot better if you find a way to win some games, get out of last place, and then shush people. I don't have a problem with the sh- goal celebration because I mean, after a game, like it doesn't have the same meaning. You know, it's not all eyes on you type of thing. What I, what Joseph I, what, Martinez, he might be happy about that. Yeah. What I would take more of an issue with is that he did it after missing a clear one-on-one opportunity in that first half that, you know, I just mentioned. You know, he's played in on goal, a great pass from Pizarro. Clean, in on goal, no defender around him. And one, you can see the lack of explosiveness that Joseph has now. It's, it's, it just doesn't have ese pique, that, that, that initial burst of speed or that sprint that he used to have. Like, you could see that he's just slower now. And it's probably a result of, of the injuries, the knee injuries. That said, he still should have put it away. And he doesn't. You know, a save is made. 
a good save by Brad Stuber. But nonetheless, you would still expect Joseph Martinez to put that chance away because there was nobody around him. You know, he, he, ha- he had the goal at his mercy and he failed to make the most of that. So because he scored a goal later on and, so, and a goal that, listen, Kremaski crosses the ball in from the right and it falls right to Joseph Martinez who's unmarked in the penalty area for some odd reason and, he's, and he places it home. I mean, okay, you scored one, but you missed a horrific one earlier. Does that really, do you really think you're, you deserve to do the sh- celebration? I mean, I would take more issue with that than doing it in general after a goal celebration, but that's just me. Um, but I want to touch on quickly Robbie Robinson, who played the left wing back spot. We touched on it during the game, Andrea and I. But Jose, I'm curious to hear your thoughts, what you thought of the performance. And of course, <laughs> we have to talk about the unfortunate development that he left the game with a hamstring injury and it ruled him out of Tuesday's game. So yet the latest health problem in a laundry list of them for Robbie Robinson in his career. So just your thoughts on the performance and then the injury. Well, I'm going to be really honest here. And and I told you guys in our in our chat prior to prior to us recording. I don't know why we're talking about Robbie Robinson. If he has been a non-factor for so long, I mean, what do we expect from him, you know, coming from injury? It's been a while since we've seen him play. I mean, like, honestly, I didn't expect anything at all. I was just surprised that he was available. And, you know, even in his when he was in, in top shape, you know, you guys know I never rated him really high. So... To be honest, from Robbie Robinson, I'm just happy for him that he can play well, that he played some minutes. But I didn't expect nothing, absolutely nothing at all from him. I mean, he played left wing back, which I thought was interesting because, again, it's not a position he plays. I How think... many chances is Robbie Robinson getting, man? I, but it's he's not, not it's... he's just not. He's, he's just not it. Many players that have been on this team in the short three years that we've been covering it have uh, were gone for less. And how many chances more are you going to give Robbie Robinson for him to well, prove again that he is not a player uh, for this level? This is his last for season. Me, that, I think this, this is his last game, season here. For me, this game just proved that he just runs with the ball. He doesn't know what to do with the ball. And when you uh, when you do that, yes, you're going to get past some players. You're going to get that real or whatever. But he doesn't add anything else for the team. You need a player that is intelligent and needs to and has to learn to take his head up and look who is coming. Look who can he, he, he can pass the ball to. Look how can he contribute for the team. And I think Robbie Robinson doesn't have that at this moment in his career. And he's been getting many chances after all the injuries and everything. He hasn't performed uh, for this team. And I think it's it's uh, it's time for the team to realize that. And and if they can sell him in this in this window, they should. So for him um... also. And for the team. So I, I think Jose and I were about to say the same thing, and that like I think this is his last season with Inter Miami. I don't I don't think he'll be brought back because one he hasn't produced, and two he can't stay healthy. Um, so it's you know he, right now he doesn't count against the the salary budget. So essentially he's like a free player in terms of the cap hit. So that's why he's there. He's, he's, he's a healthy body that doesn't count against... Well, not, not a healthy body, sorry. Uh, but he's a, he's a player that they, they thought they could count on at a 
no cost against the budget hit. Yes, they have to pay him a salary, etc., etc., but he doesn't count against the cap hit because he's still on his original generation Adidas deal, which, again, doesn't count against the MLS budget until it expires. I think he's very limited. You know, before I was talking about Pizarro being limited, I meant in terms of positionally and from a physical or an athletic standpoint. Robbie Robinson, just in general, is a very limited player. Not just positionally, not just skillfully, just in general. In general. And I tweeted this at halftime of that game. Because he was playing left wing back. It's not a position he normally plays. Again, I think he started there and Javi Morales played them there because... They're just down to the bare bones. But this is what I tweeted. And I said, Robbie Robinson has all the athletic tools to succeed, which he reminded us of in that first half. Problem is, he doesn't have much else. He has no left foot, is limited technically, buries his head way too often, and his decision-making is subpar. The worst part of it all, though, is that he's injury-prone. And that his body isn't able to handle the rigors of professional soccer, at least at the MLS level, or at least with whatever's going on here at Intermite. It's just, he needs to change of scenery. Regardless, I think this season will be the end of, of his time here, whether it's now or whether it's the end of the year. Uh, he's another player that was here from the first season, like Pizarro, who will soon be gone. Uh, you know, Victor Ulloa is the other player who's still around from that initial first season, and I've reported that he's all but gone as well. So, you know, that, that 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 group, the remaining remnants of that first season, I mean, it's about to come to an end. And we're going to enter a whole new era for Inter-Miami. But unfortunate for Robbie Robinson that, you know, things have played out for him like that in terms of the injuries. Uh, I mean, I think he's probably better off, you know, if he wants to continue playing professional soccer. I mean, he could try somewhere else in MLS. But I, again, from what I see, the deficiencies I see in his game, I think he's better off going to USL and, and trying his... His, his hand there, because I just don't see enough uh, at the MLS level. But that's just my perspective. Um, hey, 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 what that's supposed to mean to the USL? Come on now, come on. No, I'm just kidding. No, listen, I think, I, I think you know, I don't know if there's a player in Robbie, but one thing's for sure, he still needs to, I think he's still a, a work in progress. There's, there's a lot of things that he needs to work on. I think, first off, he needs to find a way to... You know, be a little bit more committed to his career. Try to stay on the field and and trust, 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 trust the team he's playing for. You know, let them you know guide him, help him make some decisions. You know, not try to do everything by himself. You know, he needs he needs that that partnership. You know, to find success if there's a chance for him to to continue to be a professional soccer player. I thought that was interesting. I thought there was a disconnect there. When Javi Morales on Monday before Tuesday's game says, Robbie, he's going for an MRI, but we expect to have him available on Tuesday. Like I thought, I thought that was a very weird quote or soundbite. Because why would you expect him to be available if he's going for an MRI? Like, an MRI means there might be something serious there. It's, it's just, it, there's more to it there, right? There's definitely more than than what was said. Like, there, there's more digging to do there because you can't count on a player. Like, I don't know how you can expect to count on a player if he's going for an MRI. Like, there's definitely got to be more to that story. So, uh, we'll do our digging. We'll see what we can 
we can find. But all right, let's take a break. We've been talking for a while. Uh, we'll come back to a very quick preview of this weekend's game against DC United, a very short Q&A session, and the final thoughts. We'll do all that after this. So a very quick preview of this Saturday's game against DC United Saturday night at Audi Field in Washington, D.C., the nation's capital. DC United is in eighth place in the Eastern Conference right now. Wayne Rooney's men have a record of eight wins, five draws, nine losses. They scored 30 goals and surrendered 28. So eh, pretty middling, middle-of-the-pack record, middle-of-the-pack numbers but still better than Inter-Miami's numbers. Jose, what type of game do you expect from Inter-Miami? Well, then we'll go to Andrea for what the key to the game is for Inter-Miami. So, Jose, you up first. Okay, what I expect is for Inter-Miami to be defensive-minded. What I would hope for if, is for them to be aggressive and play with two strikers. Play with Leo, play with Joseph, let them play freely, let them play their game that's what i would hope for but i think they will be defensive minded you know they have usually struggle on the road and um you know i don't think javi will will like to turn things over and um and and have nothing positive to show so if they get a, a draw on the road i'm sure you'll be happy about it a lot of people will be happy about it so yeah i think that they'll they'll be very defensive minded I don't know if I'll be happy about it, but... You were happy with two draws at home. So if it's on the road, three points out of nine, they're not losing games, you'll be happy. I, I mean, I, I would be okay with it. I'd be okay well, with it. Go. I don't know if that, I don't know <laughs> if I'd be happy, but I'd be okay with it. I mean, they're on the road, but they are playing uh, a weaker opponent. Anyway, Andrea... Weaker? There's no way. They're not... But they're playing a weaker opponent than they were playing when they played the crew. Or when they played Austin FC. Oh, I see. Andrea. Andrea, what is the key to the game for Inter-Miami? To attack. They need to attack. They need to 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 be attack-minded team if you want to get results, if you want all of this that we talked about in the first segment. If you want to be in the playoffs, this is your chance to do it. So you have to attack. You have to take advantage that DC United is in the playoff position in, in this moment. They're having um, an irregular season, but they are right now in the playoffs. If it all ended right now, they have a solid attack. They have a good attack. They have a solid attack. So I think Inter Miami can match them, and they should see it that way. And we should see. Um, uh, Leonardo Campana and Joseph Martinez get advantage of uh, that DC United defense that is uh, their weekly. So I think they should attack DC United and go for the three points. For me, the key to the game is they just need to be clinical, right? I don't know how many chances they're going to get. I don't know if they're going to get a whole lot. I expect that they won't be as attack-minded on the road. I expect that they'll pull it back or peel it back or reel it in a little bit from what we saw in the second half 
against the Columbus crew. Again, in a game that they were looking to get back into because they were trailing. So I think we'll see a bit more of a pragmatic approach. And I think they need to just be clinical with the chances that they do have. Whether it's two, whether it's three, whether it's you know a header off a corner kick in this, this game against the Columbus crew, which they didn't even touch on. Campana's goal, the first equalizer, comes off of a, of a well-placed header and a, and a thunderous header off of a corner kick from Robert Taylor on the left. Set pieces can get you back into a game like they did in this one. So they just have to be clinical. Whatever chances they get, you got to make the most of it. You can't have you know, the Joseph Martinez miss against Austin FC. You can't have a play like that. You can't have a play like Benjamin Kremaski missing a one-on-one look like we saw against Austin FC. They have to put the ball away. If they do that, they give themselves a chance to at least get a draw, if not win. So that's my key to the game. Uh, in terms of the formation, do you think we'll see the same thing? 5-2-2-1? Two, two, because, I mean, are, we, are any of us expecting Pizarro to play this weekend? Um, I would say no. I don't. I, I don't expect him to play. Especially, you know, especially that, after the comments, you know, right? Like, how, how, do, how does he play yeah. up to that? Yeah, after the comments, I think it's pretty clear that, you know, it's at this point, you know, it's not healthy for Pizarro to play with thinking about something else, and it wouldn't be safe for the team to put him out there, and then he gets injured, and then what do you do with him, you know? Can so, you really get anything out of that, uh, out of him? So, yeah, I don't see him playing. I don't see him playing. I, I think he'll either be shipped or he just will be held out. I don't think he plays. We'll see how Javi Morales does if he's still the coach. There's a chance that Tata Martino could get his paperwork, his visa clearance ahead of the game. There is a chance. So we'll see. We'll see. Again, in a holding pattern. Everything is kind of in a we'll see mode. So, all right, let's 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 leave it there. Uh, quickly, we'll go to a Q&A session. We'll answer a couple and probably won't do any final thoughts. So uh, maybe one. All right, so first question from Carlos Moreno. I believe this might be the first time he's ever asked a question. And he asks, when are Messi and Busquets expected to show up for team training? With their expected debut on July 21st, there's only a couple weeks left to prepare. So we haven't gotten any word as to when they'll arrive. It should be fairly soon. I mean, all the whispers, all the murmurs are that Messi will be officially presented on July 16th, which is the Sunday prior to that game against Cruz Azul. Again, last week we raised the question as to whether he's even going to play against Cruz Azul. I think he will just because they've made so much about it. Um, You know, I I think he'll play five minutes, maybe ten. But, you know, I think he'll debut, but it won't be a lengthy cameo at all. I know Andrea is formulating a theory over there that it might not even be a game that he's... uh, that he debuts in, but think, rather that he's presented in. But yeah, to the fans, that would be a disappointment. And and I wanted to to take the time to here to say that I think they should be a little bit more open with that, especially with what people are paying for tickets and um, what tickets are costing right now. You're getting people trying to invest in that game with with uh, maybe the only game that they could go in the rest of the season because they think that they will see Messi against a bigger rival because let's face it, they won't have another team. They won't play another team like Cruz Azul in the rest of the season. Uh, Cruz Azul is better than any MLS team. So 
it's their chance to see Messi playing against a good level team, against a good opponent. And if he's not there and they spiked all the prices and, and all that has happened, it's going to be very disappointing for fans. So I, we can say what we are hearing, what we are reporting, but we don't have a paper that, that we can tell the fans right now, yes, he's going to play the 21st. Because, listen, today is July 5th. And if you a player coming to this league, coming to this weather in Miami, in South Florida, off a of vacation, you off of holiday, not off a of vacation, having not played a competitive game, a team game since May, when when he last played for PSG, because those friendlies in uh, with Argentina were for business, uh, you cannot expect Messi. Not even Messi can adapt in three days to that. So um, it's unfortunate that we don't have more details to give fans. We can we can tell them what, what we've been hearing, but uh, it's really disappointing that, that we don't have a timeline uh, right now, as of right now to, to, to tell fans that can change. But um, I don't really see it because Inter Miami has been very secretive with this messy situation. So uh, hopefully it, it all changes and people can know exactly if he's going to play, if he's going to be presented, if he's just going to say hello or whatever it is that he does. Messy situation, you said. Pun intended or no pun intended? <laughs> uh, I, I, think he pl- I think he'll play. Just I think he has to play. And I, Jose and I debated this last week. I think he has to play, even if it's five, ten minutes. Then he officially made his debut, and and people will probably still feel a little hard done by, but not so much. If he doesn't play at all, and you're someone that's forked over X amount of dollars for a ticket to see Messi debut, and that doesn't happen, then I think there's going to be some very, very negative sentiment uh, or sentiments. Though there will be very negative sentiments uh, towards Inter Miami, and I don't think you want to start Messi's tenure here. In that fashion, yeah, I, like I think that. He, I think he has to play in, in some way, shape, or form, unless he's very, very injured. All right, one more question here. This one, Jose, I will ask you to help me answer, and it comes from Victor Stuopice. I hope I pronounced that right. If I didn't, please forgive me. And I also think Victor's a first-time question asker. Victor asks, "What's real and what isn't?" Every big name is being linked with Miami now. Outside of Jordi Alba, is Sergio Ramos, Luis Suarez, and now. Eden Hazard, all smoke, and just Europress connecting them now to the team? Question mark. So, Jose, I mean, we've covered MLS a long time. We know how it goes when you're the flashy team, when you're the team of the moment, el equipo del momento, right? When you're the one that's spending a lot of money and that has uh, a lot of eyeballs and the glitz and the glam. You know, when I covered the Red Bulls, it was the New York Red Bulls. And the LA Galaxy that were constantly linked with like every big name or a lot of big names in Europe because they were just those flashy teams in MLS at that time. Inter Miami has become that. So as a result of that, you're going to see them linked to a bunch of different players. Some of that will be true. Some of that will not be true. Uh, it's a matter of, you know, you as fans, you as team followers, um, you as people who consume news, to decipher what's real and what isn't. Of course, you can turn to uh, local media here for updates and you know the uh, what we provide you in terms of 
yes, this sounds like it's happening. Yes, no, this doesn't sound like it has any legs to it. But it's, it's a matter of just deciphering and, and making your best decision because you're going to hear all different types of names. Um, just like you did with Inner Miami when it initially started, right? You heard uh, Griezmann, Neymar, Messi, Cristiano Ronaldo, Falcao, James, I mean, Luis Suarez, Edison Cavani. You heard William. You had so many different names that were just brought up. And the reason for that is because, you know, since that team in that given moment, like Inter Miami is right now, is splashing cash and investing in the roster, agents for other players will give false information to reporters so that those reporters put that out there in the World Wide Web, and then that spreads that, oh, well, look, this player has interest from Inter-Miami, which can help drive up uh, that player's value in negotiations with another club. It's a whole, you know, tug-of-war, push-pull type of thing, you know, behind-the-scenes type of uh, strategy from agents. So it leads to a lot of misinformation, but I think that's what's at play here. I mean, you're not going to see all these players come here. Um, Inter Miami's not going after all these players. They just can't do it because MLS rules don't allow it to. Uh, I'm sure Jorge Mas would love to bring a bunch of these players over if he could, but unable to do so under MLS's current roster rules. So you got to pick and choose. Also, you know, follow who you follow locally and, and see how to best stay informed of what's real and what isn't. So that that's what I'd say for that. Jose, I don't know if you have anything to add there. Nope. Well said. <laughs> All right. So then any final thoughts? We've been talking for a good while. Do you guys have anything you want to share? Any Honduras talk from uh, La Copa de Oro, no. the Gold Cup? No? No. No, 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 no. <laughs> so I'll just quickly, as my final thought, touch on a player that we didn't talk about, and that is Tomas Aviles, who has been linked with move to Inter Miami. And I think, although I don't have any inside information just yet, this is fresh, but I do think that there's some truth to this one. He's an Argentine center back. Uh, he plays for Racing in Argentina and 19 years old. And listen, not every player that Inter Miami is going to bring uh, this summer and in the future is going to be a big name, an older name. You have to have a balance, like I talked about, you know, in terms of tactics, but with the roster, you also have to have a balance as well. I think Thomas Aviles is a player that Inter Miami could be really looking at um, to bring in, uh, if not this summer, in the near future, um, as someone to, to have as a depth piece or someone to groom as a, a youngster that could potentially be sold on later on. He could also fall under the new under-22 initiative. So from a, a salary budget standpoint, you know, it it could be something that's cost effective, but uh, again, so an ex- Tata making moves already. But hey, possibly, possibly. I mean, Tata Tata knows knows the league, right? He knows you got to have players uh, that maybe aren't every game starters, but that can develop and that can contribute down the road. And that I want to see Peruvians. I want to see Colombians go to those leagues, man, and you get the stadium filled up even when Messi is gone. Well, we'll see again. We're in the holding pattern. We will see. So that does it for this week's show. It was a jam-packed show. Thank you guys again so much for listening. If you haven't, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We really, really appreciate it. We'll be back next week to recap the game against DC United and talk about whatever else has happened in the world of Inter-Miami. So for Jose Armando, for Andrea Yanis, I am Franco Pizzo. You have been listening to Miami Total Football. Radio. We'll talk to you guys again.